0: Hello, 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 hello. It has been a few minutes since I did this, <laughs> but it worked so well the first time, and I was so happy with doing it, I figured I'd come back and do it again. Um, I'm still trying to work out this whole music thing. Bear with me. But that was uh, Mobeta Blues by the Branford for Marcellus Quartet, one of my favorite things to ride and jam out to. Um, and I, I guess it's very appropriate to go with... Uh, this episode of Jabology 101. Thank you guys for coming back and listening. It's cool that we're doing this again. Um, in this episode, I get to sit down and talk to my hero, <laughs> the absolute coolest human being that I know, uh, my dad. Uh, if you listen to Jab on the T, you've heard you know me tell random stories about my dad and you know me getting raised up as a kid and some of the, some of the shit that he went through growing up and, and everything else. And I've always said, you know, I'd love to sit down and talk to me. One of the coolest things in the world, do sit down and talk to my dad. But my, my dad is my complete hero. He is, he is the greatest person that I've ever known. And I'm not just saying that because he's my dad. My dad is just so, so cool. So getting to share my dad with you guys is a really big thing for me. Um, friends of mine that know about this show and they know about the other one, I guarantee you they're going to listen to this episode because like everybody that's met my dad thinks he's cool. But, but anyways, I could go on forever about how dope the man is, but episode of, uh, Jabaji 101, it's me sitting down with pops. Uh, hope you guys enjoy, go ahead and go ahead and soak it up. He's, he's, he's one of the coolest people I know and I'm glad to get to share this with you. All right. But thank you for doing this
1: My pleasure
0: <laughs> I know it's You don't I know it's probably better that you don't But you don't listen to Jabbo and the Team, do you? Mm-mm. <laughs> I mean, you know that it exists You know that I've been doing it for a while You've met the guy that I do it with But yeah, you've never It's probably better that you don't listen to that
1: show and I agree with you because it's probably filled with X-rated stuff and <laughs> F-bombs and all of that information.
0: It's not severely colorful, but it has its moments. But I like ever since I decided to do the whole second show thing. I, I told you for a while that I wanted to be able to sit down and, and do something with you, but like having all the pieces together to do it with with uh, Team and I and y'all don't. Y'all don't come to Tennessee that much, and I'd love y'all, but I'm not driving all the way down here just to do this and, and dragging Teeb's big headed ass with me. Pardon my French. Which everybody that's listening to this is like, wow, he's going to cuss less. But, um, um, so, the idea of, of Jabology 101, and we talked about this a little bit, is just like my village. You you know the guy I did the first episode with, the bestie with Snips. Um, but. It's kind of just like, I. there's a lot of stories that I've told on the other show. There's a lot of people <laughs> that I've talked about on the other show. And I get a lot of questions and DMs and stuff about some of the people in my life. And they're just like, oh, what do your parents think of this? Or, you know, but your, the guy that you do the show with isn't your best friend. What does your best friend think of this? And blah, blah, blah. And the guy that you told this story with. So I always thought that it would be cool to do a whole sad thing. And I call it jabazi because it's not to sound... <laughs> arrogant, but it's the science of me. So some of the stories that I've talked about and everything else, and you have been brought up several times on Jabba and the Teab. You, you met Teab and he thinks you're the greatest thing in the universe. <laughs> and um, normally some of the, some, the biggest parts of the conversations that I brought you up in that I can think of immediately is whenever I tell, the, whenever I tell everybody I'm the only person that hasn't met Barack Obama, which makes me feel terrible. <laughs> And the fact that, um, when he won the presidency, the, the, the phone call that I made to you. So we've always had that conversation, especially when the, the BLM stuff rolled out and then the me too movement. (laughs) And I'd, I'd always told Teeb, I was like, dude, one day I want to sit down with my dad and just talk to him about like, you, you. Were alive and well and breathing during the days of segregation, like you were alive and well and breathing during the days of integration, and for you going from the area that you were raised and all the crazy stuff that happened then to the way the well, I'll say the way the world is now and some of the things that you have now seen, I was like that would always be a fascinating conversation I think to have with you. So we don't have to have that conversation, but I'm just telling you these are some of the things that you'd come up with on the show. That and the fact that my co-host met you was like. Your parents are crying right now because of the, some of the stuff that you say. And I'm like, no, they know me. But, I mean, if you wanted
1: to talk about that, we could. We, we, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. I'll, I'll,
0: you know what? Then I will. Because I told you, like, the conversation just kind of happens organically. But the weird thing is, like, I'm, I literally wanted to do this so bad that we're about to get on the road to drive home. And I'm like, nope, this has to happen. The old lady and the kids are in the other room and mom is out there too. And I'm like, nope, it's got to happen before we go. So n- now that I actually have the chance to ask you, we can go into that. W- what does the world look like through your eyes? Because like I said, you what, what year were you born? 1952. 52. So we're talking... And I tell, I say this on my show and maybe kind of whatever off color. It's like, you were black before being black was cool. Like, <laughs> you, you, you were black when being black was not the greatest thing in the universe to be. My opinion ain't really changed that much, but 52, so... And I used to always tell people, I'm like, dude, my dad used to tell me this story about the day that uh, integration happened in South Florida and what that was like. And I was like, dude, that is so crazy to me, but... What, what, what does the world look like to, to you? How how does this, we've gone through a lot of crap. You have been around for a significant amount of historical events and changes and stuff. So like what, yeah.
1: Well, we've, we've made a lot of progress, but at times it feels like for the one step forward that you take, there's two steps backwards, yeah. and when you're talking uh, to people about your life experiences and everything, uh, they have a tendency, uh, many of them, to say no, that that could not have happened. And what I found was mm-hmm. that there was a lack of humanity and a lack of humility, you know, which has a tendency to weigh on you, you know, quite a bit. And depending upon how you uh, lay out the storyline today, you know, I'm able to share, you know, some things that happened to me personally as a a little boy and then a teenager and then a a grown man uh, in West Palm Beach, Florida. And even, you know, with my career in the military. So uh, it was a it was a journey. It wasn't all bad. But it uh, mostly left a lot to be desired. I I can only imagine.
0: (laughs) And the reason why I say is like, I don't and I know I'm not that much different than everybody, but I tell people I joke all the time. I'm like, dude, I would have got killed like day one of slavery. (laughs) Like the day they was like, hey, nigger, I'm like, whoa, hold up. It would have been over for me. I can't imagine like. Even even when I was a kid, and I have told you a story about like my teacher dropping you know n bombs and me hearing her off to the side, and and the horrible relationship I had with her, and then some of the stuff that I went through, I can't imagine that being the norm. Like I can't imagine there being. There's always been people not liking people for whatever reason since the beginning of time. I can't chime in on. Contribute to what it's like being hated as a left-handed person or being hated as a, as a road scholar I can talk about being hated because of the color of my skin So that's not a story that's ever changed for, for me and I know it ain't one for you But I still can't imagine what it's like to have your Colored faucets and your whites only faucets and You're living in the era like after You know Emmett Till getting murdered for whistling at a white woman was was real in your universe. Like for us, it's like, yeah, you know, you hear race crimes and stuff like that, but that was commonplace when you were, when you were growing up. I can't imagine what that is like. I can't. And then like I tell everybody, everyone, oh man, I know you were real happy when Obama got elected. I was like, yeah, from my dad. I was like, because he used to always tell me when I was a kid, you know, son, I really don't think you're ever going to, you know, I'm not going to live to see it. You know, hopefully one day you will. But, you know, maybe one day there'll be a black president. There'll be a woman president sitting in that seat. You know, we'll, we'll see. I don't think I'll live to see it. So when you got, I cried the night he got to tell everybody that story. Matter of fact, the people listen to Jeff on the TV have heard it about when I was just like, dude, you, how does it feel? I, I can't imagine racism just blatant racism I mean I think it's pretty blatant now my personal opinion I don't think everyone wants to act like Donald Trump was the person that caused all of it I don't think he was I think Trump was the person that was like hey it's okay it's perfectly all right, and I'll back anything in the universe that you do because I don't I don't give a crap pretty much so I don't think that the world was any less racist before Trump was in presidency. I think the world just started showing its true colors. And I think it was a lot louder. But like I said, I'm digressing all over the place, I just can't imagine what it's like to have the the things that were whispered in quiet corners be the loud norm of, of your day. I-
1: <laughs> well, over time, you know, uh, a lot of things that were overt uh, became covert and it was in your face and, uh, it's like, okay, we said it, we did it. What you going to do about it? You can't do a whole lot about it because we're in control, you know, of the, of the situation. Now, mind you that, you know, when you speak of, uh, President Obama, I never thought that I would see that day in my lifetime. And I too was very emotional, you know, when that transpired. But by the same token, if it wouldn't have been for that "quote unquote" uh, coalition, and when I say rainbow coalition, I'm not talking about, uh, uh, you know, the symbol of the rainbow, but I'm talking about people of all colors and people of all races and everything. You know standing together you know for the common good because uh without uh people of other uh races and everything uh obama never would have happened and i know of some situations where uh parents old school stopped speaking to their kids because they were quote unquote liberal and went out and voted for someone who really loved the country and who was trying to tear down all of those walls. And as a result, uh, uh, the younger generation, or you can call it Generation X or whatever you want to do, saw the value in um, supporting Obama and his agenda and what, what he was trying to do to make you know, America a better place. Because I tell you, not only did I see stuff in the United States, but when I was stationed in Germany and went to the concentration camp, you know, I could see the same thing. And I would say to myself, how could anybody with an ounce of humanity and an ounce of humility think that Hitler was right in what he did to over six million Jews? And the sad part is is that you still have people today that say the Holocaust didn't happen and how they look, you know, at certain people. And uh, I think uh, when I had the opportunity to go to the concentration camp, that that was a profound moment for me. That is something I'll never, ever forget in my life. Just like some of the... Very wrong things that happen to people that I know, you know, here in the United States. That's,
0: I I think um, I've always had uh, a, a real well-rounded um, look at things that you and Mom gave me when it came to race, but. I think you guys did, and especially you, and I h- hoped and prayed for the longest time it wasn't a conversation that I would ever have to have, but it's crazy because and I've, I've grown to learn that no matter what, it's a conversation you have to have, period, and I'll get to that in a second, but... You know, you y'all were always like, okay, you know, it's cool to love people, and y'all never jumped down on who I dated or the friends that I had, you know, as far as you know, what religion or what race they were. But you guys always made it mindful to explain to me, you know, your life is going to be a little bit different. You're, you're a black male being raised in America, your life is going to be a little bit different. And I was always like, you know what? I always thought in the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe that'll change to the point where, uh, that's a conversation I don't have to have. Maybe it'll be something that's read in a history book one day and, and the kids will be so flabbergasted that we can fight over something so trivial or so horrible or that, you know, millions of people can be killed and, or have been killed or persecuted or whatever else just over something so simple. Like, maybe that would be something that would be in our past, but here I am, <laughs> now about to be 42 years old, with no black people in my house other than me <laughs> and it's still a conversation I have to have yeah I and I always like I said always thought you know one day maybe it's come conver- no that's a conversation I still completely have to have I I have to talk to them um to make them aware of the injustices in the world I have to talk to them about you know other kids that they may see that, that maybe this they don't necessarily look like me, but then being friends with people that don't look the same as them. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to have and I and if, from that standpoint, I was like, you know what, man, it's it's a conversation that if you don't have it, you you you're pretty much I want to say you're almost dooming yourself to fail. It's almost an essential part of the conversation that you have to have with your kids these days. No matter what your kids look like, if they look like you or they don't look like you, you know, and that's what that that was my standpoint with the BLM thing. And yeah, I know that the movement, I, I believe it was hijacked, all this kind of crap, but the same thing with me too and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, you're officially at a point in the world where social media, technology and everything puts the news dead in front of your face. You got you know, Every restaurant you sit in, if there's a toddler in there, they're playing with somebody's phone or they have their own tablet. We are pumping technology dead in front of these kids' faces. So they, at any age, have the ability to access all of this, all the things that are going on in the world. And depending on how it comes to them, what they watch, what they get, if you do not have this conversation with them... They are being taught by whatever is in front of them or whoever else is around them or whatever they take in. And it is a very, very slippery slope of a conversation to try to have because right now you have to because you cannot let the outside world raise your kid. You you can't have back in. I remember back in the day when it was like, oh, you better tell your kids about sex because you don't want Johnny in the class to explain to him and show him stuff. No. Now it's like you really have to have this full blown conversation because I think if you don't become part of the okay, well, this is what Me Too was, or this is what the LBGTQ community is, or this is what you know, this is what the BLM thing means, it, it doesn't matter if it exists in your house or doesn't exist in your house, you still have to have that conversation because there's so much poison floating around out
1: there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think if you don't have that conversation, then you're doing your kids. A great disservice because uh, my philosophy is is that the people who love you the most are going to tell you what you need to hear, you know, regardless if you like it or not, because it's the truth. you know, And you want to be able as a parent, to give your kids the information, let them receive the information. And let them decipher the information that you're feeding them so they can make a logical decision rather than flying by the uh, uh, seat of your pants. And I give you an example. You can take the major networks. You can look at, uh, as an example, CNN. And then you can watch Fox. And you've got. A CNN reporter reporting or in the same location as that Fox person, what the CNN reporter takes away is going to be totally different from what the Fox reporter takes away and what they broadcast. And I think that uh, uh, freedom of the press is a great thing, but there's an expression, and I'm going to screw this up, believe half of what you see or some and none or what you hear or or something like that. And I know I just screwed that up, but it's upon the parent, you know, to sit down and have these conversations with their kids. Because if you don't have uh, influence on the kids and tell them the truth, however painful that might be, then they're going to walk away with a a false perception of reality, which could really be uh, detrimental.
0: Very dangerous. Would you, like, it's just me and my sister, would you, do you think that raising us in today's climate, like the way the world is right now, technology? do you think it's easier raising us now or it would be easier, it was easier raising us back then?
1: I think it was easier raising you guys back then. <laughs> Why? Wow. Uh, and the reason that I say that is is that the outside influence wasn't as great as it is now. You don't have these, uh, uh, back then you didn't have uh, broadcasts going on 24-7. You didn't have the talking heads going, going on 24-7. You didn't have all of these uh, different... Uh, detrimental philosophies, mm-hmm. you know, going on uh, back then. So it was easier. But I, I still say this, and even though you guys are adults now, the conversation cannot stop, you know. Uh, you guys are grown. And we believe that we brought you up in a way that You can prepare yourself and you can go out there and compete with anybody. And it's still incumbent upon the parent that when you see your adult child doing something that's way, way out of bounds. Then you need to call them on it. Because this is one thing that will always be true. I as a man will always be. And your mom as a woman will always be your parents, period. Always be. And even in old age, it's still important that we share wise counsel with you guys. Now, it's up to you what you do with it. But I have armed you with the information. And we might get into a conversation where we're talking about something, let's just say finances and credit, so on and so forth. I've given you the foundation, and as I see you as a young man or as a young woman making decisions that are not wise out there, I would pull you back in and say, hey, uh, that old saying about pay yourself first, it still holds true. And uh, there's always gonna be a tomorrow So if you don't prepare yourself now, how are you going to take care of tomorrow? Because the worst thing that you want to happen is, you know, you are not prepared to be able to pay your taxes, to pay your bills, to have enough coming in, to take care of what's got to go out, so on and so forth. And like anything else, I can't make you do anything. But. I've armed you with the tool I've reinforced. So now it's your decision, you know, to go out there and do what's right. You
0: think you did all right with us?
1: (laughs) Well, that's that's one thing that I uh, constantly, you know, evaluate uh, when things go wrong in your personal lives and stuff. You know, I ask myself, you know, did I dot that I across that T? But at the end of the day, you know, uh, I can say that I did the best that I could. uh, And I wouldn't have it, you know, any other way. Again, because at the end of the day, if you go out and rob somebody, if you go out and kill somebody or you become a multimillionaire or. Uh, you decide to run away to a developing nation and do whatever, regardless of what the situation is. You're still part of my DNA. You're still a part of my child. Uh, not part of my child, but you're still my child. And I don't understand, and it. it angers me greatly, how some parents, if their kid get in trouble, that uh, let's just say, for instance, you know, you go to prison. I have a lot of associates will take the approach, well, I didn't teach him to be a criminal. No, most people don't. But it's a decision that that child made with the help of the influence of society. But how could you not go to that prison wall and visit your kid? But I have a lot of friends who say, he made his bed, let him lie in it. I am not going to see him. Can you imagine being sentenced to twenty years, and I never show my face up at that prison? Heck no. Yeah, and, and you know I don't, I don't support what you did, but the fact that you are uh, prisoner number 555321 five five three two one doesn't change the fact that when you look in the mm-hmm. DNA code, you will see. Tom Moore written all over it. doesn't change the fact. I'm
0: glad I ain't, I'm glad I didn't put you through that. I put you mm-hmm. through some crap, but I'm glad I didn't put you... Th- I'm glad I didn't have you coming to nobody's president to come see yeah. me.
1: And, and were there times where I really wanted to body slam you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're going to be a man, you got to be a man. You know, you can't sit around being, you know, all wishy-washy and, and that kind of stuff. You know, and, and, and when you're talking to people, you talk to them in a way that's respectful because the message that you are trying to send is the message that you want the person to receive. So if I'm jumping up and down, doing backflips, acting like a fool, I have immediately turned you off and you're not hearing what I'm saying. So that message that I'm trying to communicate is not going through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the wonderful things I've had to learn. I've had some, well, throughout life, period, especially for the show, there's a lot of crap I had to learn. But yeah, that's that's definitely one that I had to put across, too. Cause I talked to people for a living for 22 years.
1: Well. And, and one other thing I would say as, as we, you know, there, there are a lot of things that need fixing in America. Oh, go ahead. But I've had the opportunity to travel most places that you only read about or you look at in the National Geographic's magazine and see all of these wonderful things.
0: That has been a very cool thing. Yeah.
1: So uh, uh, America, there are a lot of things that are wrong here, but I would just tell you that based upon my travel experiences and places where I've stayed, And things that I've read. I still think that America is the best place, you know, that I could ever be. Um, And that's just the way it is from my perspective. So I've examined that and I've seen it. And I think one of the lowest points, well, I'll just lay out some low points. Living in Korea didn't open my eyes because i had already seen the same kind of stuff that back then went on in korea i had that experience growing up here when i was in korea you had a high class and then you had a low class there was no middle class and while a lot of the people in seoul was running around driving their brand new Daewoo's or or Mercedes-Benz and stuff like that, I've seen a point where people were daggum near destitute. When the Olympics came, NBC News got in trouble because they went down into some of the cities, even outside of Seoul, and the Korean government got very upset and told them, you can't show this because they they showed destitute people so on and so forth so everybody want to put on you know uh, this big front. When I lived in Germany you know here I am uh, the commander in chief or the military establishment said okay you're going to Germany and you're going to spend X amount of years here but yet and still when I got there the housing was unfair. Now here we are there to protect and preserve uh, the way of life in Germany. But you had, uh, and not all of them, but this particular instance, uh, a house was available. And then I went to review and inspect the house and that guy saw my skin color and he said, I'm not renting to you. (laughs) And we had a conversation and he told me, well, I don't care what you think. I don't want you here. I didn't ask you to come here. I said, but U.S. tax dollars, my tax dollars have made a difference during the war who rebuilt basically all of Europe. And he said, I don't give a damn, you know, with his thick German accent, you know, and those uh, and those types of things. And even here in Carolina. Uh, It was back in the '70s when there was a big push on hiring the handicap, and me, my brother, and his family, we stopped uh, in North Carolina. I believe it was Dunn, North Carolina, went to have a meal, and next thing you know, we were surrounded by the Ku Klux Klan. They wasn't in their sheets that day, but they were there, and threatened to kill us. And in the 1970s how in the world could a baby, a young lady under the age of 12 and three adults back in the 1970s, breakfast bill would be almost $30. Hmm. And then you're facing a situation where even a sheriff come and the, the cafe owner pull out his gun and start telling you, The N-word, we ain't want you in here anyway. We thought it was a good place because the big push was to hire the handicapped and there were some handicapped people there. So uh, having to deal with that or in my days as an ROTC instructor, I had a kid sitting in my classroom and he made it known that his grandfather and his dad were members of the, the Triple K and his dad was in the military stationed uh, in the city where I was teaching. Mm-hmm. So we had a whole conversation about that and what I'm so impressed about is that the kids in the classroom didn't demean him. They felt sorry for him that he was being brought up in that kind of environment uh, things of that nature or to have a situation where you're more than qualified or you're equally as qualified and you don't get the job just because and then trying to find any reason to deny you a job and this happened to me while I was in the military.
0: do Do you think anything's getting any better? Do you think there's been any <clears throat> real positive change or
1: I think I think at one time frame things were getting better, like in the early 70s in the military, because all of a sudden you had this consciousness in the military about inequality and so on and so forth. And I can only speak for the army because that's the branch that I served. But they put forth a great effort to try to equal the playing field. And now when you look at things, uh, politics are still heavily involved. And I will go to uh, the last election cycle. Here it is that you had a three-star general who the former president nominated for a position and he was as dirty as dirt. And he's still doing crazy stuff. And what did the president do? The president pardoned him. That sort of stuff. Whereas you, I, or Joe Ragman, the citizen, could never get away with all of this stuff that they got away with. And then you got a person like Michael Cohen, who did all the former president's heavy lifting, and underhanded stuff then after he was used up you know they said well we don't need you no more yeah we're gonna go ahead and send you to prison now all of a sudden when I start spilling the beans and letting out all of your secrets you know we jump up and say well he's a liar we're not gonna believe him well what in the hell you think the former president was
0: that's a whole I told you (laughs) Though, I was just a whole piece of don't give me. I there's one thing that I actually can say that I feel comfortable about the fact that we did have Trump as our president, it let me see a lot of people for where they really were, like I it's ranged for me from my best friend who was like, I don't care. I'm just going to vote forever whoever lets me keep my guns and lets me keep most of my money, which I'm like, okay, you're, you're taking a hands off approach. I think it's a little dangerous, but it is. You'll, you'll get there. You, there's no decisions that any politician is making that's going to affect an entire bubble that you have. That's not black and white for you. Like, so I, I get it, but At the same time, it's also arranged to there's like long standing military friends that I've had, like guys I went to basic with and AIT. And it's not the things that they jump up and say, "Okay, well, I support this, but I don't support this. It's the it's like they drink the Kool-Aid, man. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Trump supporter. There's things that I will question morally with you. And there's certain things that I'll question, but ultimately, it, it allowed me to see the people that I needed to weed out because of, there's just certain things that I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if you're religious, not religious, gay, straight, believe in God, don't believe in God. I don't care if you pray to a toaster and hop on one foot on Tuesdays. As long as you're not pushing a dangerous and damaging agenda <laughs> yeah. and everything else. But the thing was, it let me see a lot of my friends that even if they weren't like, oh well, you know, I, these are the policies that I do like, and that's why I'm a supporter. I had some hardcore, well, Biden never does this, and Bernie never does this, and I hate these people, and blah blah blah, and cancel culture, and they're trying to do this, and drink the Kool Aid because of the masks. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to x you off the friend list, but I really can't have everything that you're saying in front of me.
1: And and I think that's why it's vitally important even with these friends or associates that the conversation takes place now. Uh, And I think character does count. And I think that you have to have a set, well, a set of morals and a set of values, you know, are absolutely important. And and understand me, you know, I'm not, uh, everybody has done some things that, that they're not particularly fond of. And a lot of them would say, uh, if I could take that out of my closet, I will. But a lot of times you can't take it out of your closet, but you learn from what's hanging in your closet, not to continue to put those same, same kind of things, uh, in your closet. Now I have a, a, a person that, uh, I respect and, uh, when we were teaching, uh, Bible study, uh, fellowship, you know, the kids and everything, uh, he was a big Trump supporter, but that didn't make this person a bad person. He just believed in, you know, uh, some of those things that, that Trump was doing. And I told him one day, I said, well, uh, Here's my take, and we discussed it. And I was willing to lay out to him why I thought certain things, but he wasn't necessarily willing to lay out to me why he felt that way. And, I, and, and because he didn't, I could have walked away from the table with a whole bunch of thoughts mm-hmm. that may not have been correct And, you know, he's a good guy. And uh, when we uh, departed and we moved and I told him I was moving, he was really, really sad. And he told me, I'm really going to miss the conversations that we've had. And what I tell people all the time, you have to walk in my shoes, which you haven't walked in. And I told him, you see, I know what it's like for your dad to buy grocery on a Friday and by Monday there's no food in the house. I know what it's like to go to the migrant camps and stand side by side with migrant workers picking beans, picking tomatoes, uh, picking oranges and all that sort of stuff. You know, picking a hamper of beans this tall and I know you can't see it but that's about, what, three feet? About three feet. About three, three feet full of beans. And what they did was gave you 40 cents per hamper. And I know what it's like for migrant workers to, to live and work on these big co-ops. And they cheat them. Give them dilapidated housing. They own the little local store, which equates to like a 7-Eleven, where the prices are triple. And the people are being cheated, and and what and when I was in the classroom, I always told my kids, "Look, your parents may not have had the opportunity to go to school, and that's why it's important to get education. So when you see these television commercials, oh, come on down, we've got this car, we got that car, so on and so forth. Good credit, bad credit, no credit, you know, we'll get you in one. But you're paying some." ridiculous amount in interest but you don't know how to figure the interest your parents don't so you're in school to tell them hey mom hey dad that's a bad deal because he's charging you this in interest but all you're doing is got your eyes on that beautiful car and not thinking about the other responsibilities you know that you have but uh that person that i was talking about you know we still communicate today and i, I hope that he will take off the blinders and see you know some of the you know what has gone on in the last four years and uh, but you know but like i say i think america is still the greatest country in the world from all of these countries that i have visited and 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 things of that nature and uh but you know we're making progress i don't lose hope because when you lose hope then what else do you have
0: that's true yeah I, i i i like to you know my whole thing now and i've changed to this on my twitter account and everything else is there's a guy that I follow and they were both Kevin Smith fans and him and his boys, they got a, a good little podcast crew and they got to run and like, they'd always jump up and post. Well, one guy in particular, he'd always jump up and make positive posts and it really caught on with me. And I was like, man, why is it so hard to be nice to people? Like, why is it so hard to say something nice to people? Cause, um, you remember the horrible, you know, You, you I've, I've seen situations where somebody will get up and that first bad thing that happens dictates their entire day. Yeah. And you allow that to be the sinking thing. And I've always said there's enough crap going on in this world, dude, like COVID kept people inside and then you had conspiracy theories and then people wanted to go to war over the Trump thing. And I mean, we got people storming into the Capitol building like... You know, there's cops killing anybody and everybody, black men, black women, like the meat. There's so much crap going on that there's enough negative. It's like why is it so bad to be positive? Like, mm. so I made it a point to try to, you know, get up and you know motivate people. Like, okay, we got work to do. You know, the world sucks. The world's going to continue to suck. It's like either you can suck with it, or you cannot suck. It's like, I promise you tomorrow's going to be hard. The day after is going to be hard. There's going to be a hard day in there somewhere. It's like, so what's the point of giving up? You know, work as hard as you do. So when you hit an easy day, you're coasting. And when you hit a hard day, it's not killing you because you're prepared for it. And like, you know, do good things, be, be good people. Um, and I think some of that is because like, I, and I tell you all the time, you guys surrounded us with a pretty solid village. You, you all completely surround us with a pretty solid village. And, um... I I do take the same faith that you do I hope that the world does get better um, I hope that there's enough because I like to say that the, the people that put Clinton in office and the people that put Obama in office not once but twice they're still breathing mm-hmm. <laughs> so Maybe there is enough influence there, and I'm not going to say, oh, that putting a Democratic president or putting an independent president or putting a Republican—I'm not going to say, like to just put a good person in in the seat, and I don't care what side of the room you sit exactly. on, um, exactly. as long as there there is a good representation from good people, right? Of who they would like to do the job. The reason why this last election kind of threw me sideways is because, and I will say this, and I'll tell you all right now, if you want to stop listening to me, I really don't give a shit, but I do not believe that there was any voter fraud. I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in the investigation. I don't understand how, and this is just a sidebar, I really don't understand how you're going to spend all this time, money, and dedication into doing investigation over counting ballots But you won't greenlight an investigation into people on our own soil, terror in a terrorist manner, attacking a government building. You will not greenlight an investigation into that. But we can, for several months now, have to listen to articles and books and reports and everything else on voter fraud. You don't believe that somebody breaking into your house is more important than somebody taking a piece of mail out of your mailbox. That does not make rational sense to me. But I do hope that the the people that... Our country was divided on this last election. And that is the part that worries me. It's not the fact that you voted Republican. I could care less. But it's the fact that in spite of... At some point in time... If, if you keep if stuff keeps popping up in the Kool-Aid you got no choice but to believe the Kool-Aid might be bad even then the fact that our country was divided on that that is the part that, that kind of freaks me out so I'm hoping that like I said I don't care which side it's on but that enough good people that have hope and believe in a, a America a, a good united America the way that I don't think it was ever fully envisioned this way that it's supposed to be. Those are the people that vote on who run.
1: Yeah, and and I've always uh, told people whether they're uh, teenagers or young adults or even those who are senior to me. I don't care who you vote for as long as you vote. Oh, yeah. And as long as you are an informed uh, voter. Especially when we're voting for local politicians, and we're voting uh, for members of Congress, especially the Senate, House of Representatives, eh? But that Senate, because nothing can move forward unless the Senate, you know, pr- uh, approves it. And uh, and I don't know how much time we got left, but when you beginning. when you when you talk about uh, all of that craziness, you know, concerning the capital, and how certain members just want to minimize that stuff, and the people who are sworn to uh, protect that capital, so on and so forth, you dismiss what they did for 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 whatever reason, and you didn't care that several of those officers lost their life either by self-infliction or whatever. So you don't care about them. So you don't care about uh, Sandy Hook. And you don't care about all of these other mass shootings and stuff. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Oklahoma City. My wife and I, along with some, uh, another couple, took a train ride to Op- Oklahoma City. And we had the opportunity to go to this federal building where Timothy McVeigh, for whatever reason, caused all of that destruction. And it was heartbreaking, you know, to see. And all of those little kids who was in that daycare downstairs. Now, you can be cold-hearted and say, that's okay. You can be cold-hearted and say that what happened to the Capitol was okay. And you can be cold-hearted and say what happened at Sandy Hook was okay. And you can be cold-hearted and say what happened at, at Parkland High School uh, down in Broward County, Florida was okay. I don't understand it. And as long as we've got people with that mentality, the, the fight and the struggle is going to be uh, very difficult and everything. And, and, and we need to just stop, you know, just playing politics, but do the will of the people and quit padding yourself, uh, that sort of stuff, and get some folks who've got morality and good hearted, good natured people. And let's sit down and have a discussion so I can better understand your way and my way and we can come you know, to some type of uh, um, resolution because you're not always gonna get everything that you want. But like I said, I, I think America is the greatest country that I've ever uh, lived in. Uh, through hard work and education being the basis and good moral principles instilled in me by my parents, it's made a difference because you absolutely don't have to be a product of your environment, you don't. Because sometimes there has to be a paradigm shift where you have to stand back and say, you know what? I'm not gonna allow that you know, to happen to me. And again, one last thought. I always thought it was important when I was in the classroom Oftentimes, when teachers go in the classroom, they want the students to write a paper about who they are or what their childhood was like, so on and so forth. And I always thought it so unfair for the teacher to ask the student to share this stuff and the teacher not being willing to share their life story. Because in my case... All the kids could do was sit out there and look and see I was driving a nice car or I had on nice clothes or I lived in a nice house. But never the fact that during my childhood, you know, came from a broken home, went out there, picked beans and tomatoes and uh, citrus fruit right next to the migrant workers, you know, worked hard. When I went to college, didn't really have enough money to get there and to get back home. Called a Greyhound bus from Austin, Texas, to Florida. Uh, the bus ticket was fifty something dollars. I borrowed sixty dollars, and from Texas to Florida, I only had two dollars to eat off of. As a matter of fact, a dollar and seventy-five cents, because I had to have a quarter in my pocket to make a phone call to let my folks know that I was at home. So that's why, you know, talking to your kids and sharing with those that you have influence over what it was like, you know, for to make it. So if I was able to, quote unquote, make it, then they should be able to.
0: We have to do this again.
1: Oh for sure We, we completely, for sure.
0: Like I hate the fact that we Ran out of time and I completely Wish that we didn't have to jump on the road Because I, I completely want to keep this going But no I really, I'm not playing I want to have you back to do this with me again Would you? Yeah I would uh, and We is, can even sit down and talk about you
1: Is it able to be done over the telephone? Yeah we can work yeah, it out okay.
0: we'll, we'll completely work it out but thank you Okay well, <laughs> thank you.
1: Thank you for the for the opportunity, thank you for inviting me. Oh,
0: we'll have to do this again. Uh, thank you guys again. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. All right, we're
1: out. All right.